you know, I, I was a rebel, I mixed with the wrong crowds, just school was just really, really boring. And I got the highest in the year, I got a distinction. Amazing. Yeah, so I really pushed myself, but that was the only reason that got me into university. I came back and I was offered a permanent job and then 9-11 happened. But we've had some ups and downs. So I was um, diagnosed with primary cancer in 2020. Um, I found a lump in my breast. I've always been, I've always had a positive approach to this because if I, and there, trust me, there were some serious downward spirals as well, right? But I have to pick myself out of there. And it's been, it was hard mm. to get yourself out of that pit of doom. I've always tried to look on the bright side of life. And getting a cancer diagnosis is shit, right? At a young age, I'm not that old. You always think that cancer comes for people when they're 80s, 70s, 80s, when you're old, right? But what do you do, Adam? Do you put your head in the sand and just deteriorate every day? Well, some people do. And they do, mm. right? But I believe if you do that, then you're letting the cancer win. And it's gonna get you sooner rather than later. You're not gonna be living the life that you have now. I totally agree. You've got, if you've got the energy to do it now, do it. Hi, and welcome to the There's Another Way podcast with me, Adam Halverson. And me, Pete Dolby. And you've come to the place where each episode we'll be shining a light on authentic people who have chosen an alternative path to their new normal to find another way. In today's episode, we have the immense privilege of sitting down with Tina Gill, an extraordinary individual who holds a very special place in my heart. Tina's journey is both deeply poignant and incredibly inspiring. From overcoming academic challenges to achieving remarkable milestones such as graduating from university, representing the United Kingdom at Walt Disney World and excelling in a career in property management, her path has been a testament to her resilience and determination. However, amid life's triumphs, Tina was confronted with an unimaginable trial, a devastating health diagnosis during the tumultuous pandemic. Yet, in the face of this heart-wrenching adversity, she radiates resilience and a remarkable spirit. At the age of 47, Tina bravely shares her story of navigating her cancer diagnosis, channeling her focus towards inspiring others in similar circumstances. Join us as we delve into her journey, discovering the incredible strength and positivity she embodies, offering hope and motivation to all those facing similar challenges. All right, here we are. Exciting. Well, we are very honoured uh, to have uh, one of my favourite people in the whole world sitting with us today, uh, Tina Gill, who joined us today oh, for episode you. six. Tina, how are you doing? Good. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. Um, <laughs> we've talked about this for a little while. We have. And uh, we really appreciate you giving up your time to come and sit with us today to have a chat through your, your story. No problem. Um, and yeah, so I think what we'd like to start with, if that's okay, maybe if we... 
delve a little bit into the past, not too far, but yeah, yeah maybe we'll talk about your childhood and. Uh, well, you want to go that way? Well, just just <laughs> br- just brief overview of that, and okay. then obviously school. And we had a chat a few months back, and you let you told me about your GCSE time and how you turned that around, yeah. which is incredible. <laughs> I want to hear all about that. Okay. And obviously. You know, for the purposes of the listeners, we met first 27 years ago, 27 which is years absolutely ago. insane, working for a small mouse in Florida. <laughs> yeah. But we'll get into that in a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear more about okay. a little bit about your childhood uh, and, and take it from there. Okay. If that's okay. So um, I grew up in a small town called Cranford. Um, I've got one brother. Um, just living with my parents. I went to school there. Um, and yeah, I didn't pass my GCSEs. <laughs> Unbelievable. I've known you as I do now. I can't believe that. I didn't know that I, until about I was six... a bit of a rebel at school. I didn't really enjoy with it. With a cause or without a cause? Both. <laughs> I didn't enjoy school at all. Right. Um, I mixed with the wrong crowds. Just school was just really, really boring. Um, GCSEs came and my dad was like right you've got to either go to Woolworths to work or you've got to retake them and I was like I'm not working in Woolworths <laughs> so I retook them but I did a BTEC as well and I think at that stage I knew that I wasn't very good at exams um so I the turned retaining it, studying and retaining the information for the exam yeah. is a pressured scenario so or? I had to retake my English and maths as well and the retention it just wasn't me but it didn't help that I was revising the night before each exam right yeah so, <laughs> sounds, sounds familiar yeah um, I just couldn't do it I can remember doing it with my friends having those caffeine tablets to stay up all night um, it just wasn't meant to be I failed every single one of them um, I retook my English and maths how I, did that conversation get with your parents it was tough I still do not have my maths to this day really <laughs> So that is, uh, I did it four times. I'm not proud of it. I did math, I had a tutor and everything. But I did get, um, I did pass my English and I did a BTEC in business and finance and I got the highest in the year. I got a distinction. Amazing. Yeah, so I really pushed myself. But that was the only reason that got me into university. Right. What do you think the difference was between doing the GCSE stuff and then the BTEC? I think because it was mainly coursework and there was no exams involved. Right. Um, and the retention was easier to keep in my brain um, rather than doing examinations. I still managed to pass my GCSEs because the two that, the English that I needed to get into university. And I think having the BTEC as a distinction kind of covered the maths element of it to get me into university as well. So it was a bit of hit and miss. Um, Then I went to uni in Birmingham with Pete. You also followed me there at one (laughs) stage. A little bit later. A bit later on in our our years. Um, I did a hotel business management degree, um, four-year degree, and part of that was to go to Disney, which was the best year. Was that part of your course? Yeah, it was part of my course. When it first came into your consciousness, I could go and work for for Disney. Yeah, it was, I remember, um, it was Val Cook, she was head of... Um, international travel and she said when you interview they will know within the first 90 seconds whether they're going to take you or not amazing I was like what are you joking so they were like no and you know me and um a couple of friends of mine got in but they decided not to go in the end wow um 
so it was just me basically on my own and three other people that I didn't know um and that's when we met Pete and how did you feel sitting on the plane heading out there I don't know it was a bit of anxiety scared first time away from home um but like I said, I was a rebel. I was like, whatever, I'm going to go live my life. <laughs> sorry, sorry, just to go back to this rebel theme. Yeah. Um, what, what, why do you, where do you think it came from? Was it? I think, so my dad was really strict right. when I was growing up. And he didn't let me do what my friends were doing. So I just rebelled. And I think it came to the point where my dad and I were very similar. Um, we didn't really get on much, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, but... Ten years before he passed away, our relationship got better. Um, I think having the kids as well um, helped, you know, bring us closer together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, we, we just... It was just a clash. Yeah. Clash of the titans every day in our house. <laughs> and then, you know... It's the whole fact in that generation that parents weren't really around, they were working, so they didn't really have much uh, influence or know what you were doing at school. Yeah. It's very different to how it is now. Um, so I think that added a lot of elements to it as well. Yeah. So I that's where the rebellious came in, that, you know, you can't tell me what to do, I'm going to do it anyways. Mm. Um, do, you, do you have any sort of regrets from that? period nope. and sort of that mindset or <laughs> <laughs> nope <laughs> do you want to think about that no I don't there is uh, I enjoyed every minute of it if I'm honest yeah. because it's probably made the person that I am today yeah um, um, so we did Disney did it for a year and first impressions when you got there um, did you think this is for me or did you think... I don't know, you know, I was... I think the first couple of weeks I was still trying to find my feet. Um, if I'm being honest, I didn't know if I would if I would fit in because everybody had their own kind of groups created at that time and I went with people who were a little bit boring, let's be honest, um, and I couldn't click with them. And when you're so far away from home, you have to find people to kind of bring you under their wing. Mm. And Pete was one of them. Oh, really? Actually. (laughs) Pete was one Uh of them. Um, And Nicole was one of them as well. So I think that kind of settled me quite quickly. And I I was lucky to have an English roommate as well, because in that that programme, you weren't really allowed to have somebody of the same country in your house. Um... Matt Dolby, sorry, Matt Dolby, Matt Older, who is one of our friends, was the first face I saw. So you have to have a initiation party when you first get there, right? right. He was the first face I saw when I woke up in my eyes. And he's a great friend of ours as well now. Yeah, so put it into context, it was um, a year in the sun, living in this beautiful, uh, gated... Getting drunk every night. Correct. We're <laughs> going to complex with, what, 2,000 people yeah. from all different nationalities. Yeah. And it was an international living experience, wasn't it? It's Correct. a cultural experience. So you'd live with people from all around the world, from yeah. Japan, France, Norway, Mexico, Canada, and you live together and you learn about their culture and you learn about different people and make friends from all around the world. We had to do all those programmes, yeah. but they also had a very kind of um, strict policy of you would get terminated for just looking a different way or doing something. I mean, so many people got terminated. Yeah, 
it's the US way. So they do that in <laughs> corporate life as well. They can just march you out the door, can't they? Immediately. If, you, if your face doesn't fit. So, yeah, a few people got turfed out for not adhering to the rules. You might have struggled. Maybe. Your hair had to be a certain way, yeah. no earrings. It was just really, really strict on their policy. So when I got the job, I was like, oh, you made a decision in 90 seconds. I mean, it's that, it's that strict. Like, I guess they have... I guess you, you can either buy into why they're doing it or not. Exactly. You can either buy into the fact that customer experience and all of that stuff is paramount. Um, or... If you don't get it, you probably shouldn't be there. Right. I always wanted to run my own hotel. That was always my dream from a little... Actually, I'm lying. I wanted to be an air hostess when I was little. Uh, I wanted to travel the world and be the trolley dolly that they were. But then I kind of steered towards hotels. Um, and Disney was the perfect place to learn about customer service experience mm. because mm. they're so hot on it. Um, and it's still with you today, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And how did they do that within within two days of induction? Because it's still with me as well, and it never leaves you. And Correct. I don't know whether it's brainwashing yeah. or what, but it, it never leaves you, does but it? But their customer service is out of this world. Yeah. And I then took on a 17-year career in hotels when I came back. After So a lot of my friends did a hotel business management degree and mm. decided to do other things, but I wanted to continue. So I did 17 years. In hotels and the experience that I got at Disney helped me through that path because of the customer service experience that I gained there. Amazing. I've tried to articulate a lot over the years about why that year was so special and I don't think I've ever really truly managed it and I, I don't know why to this day but I, I, why, why I, I mean it was how impact, impactful was it for you because for me it's the most pivotal year of, of my life. I, I think we were so young, we were 20, 21, and meeting so many different people from different backgrounds in such a short space of time mm. kind of opened your eyes to the world that you're not just in this bubble of being on your own, at home, with your friends, you know. There's so much more out there. And just learning about their cultures, learning about their backgrounds, it just opened my eyes that the world is a bigger place. And it pushes you outside your comfort Absolutely. zone as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Because you're sitting on a plane for a year thinking, I'm not really sure what I'm letting myself in for. Correct. You're leaving the safety of home behind you. You don't know what awaits you when you get there. Yeah. And, you know, you, you're going there and everyone's out there. It's a clean canvas in, in, in some yeah. ways because no one knows you from the past or if you have any baggage. It's a blank canvas. You're starting from scratch. You're getting to know people from all around the world and everyone's there to have a great time. This is it. And one thing I would say... When I went to uni the first year, I hated it because I just couldn't find my people, my tribe. Yeah. Disney, the people there never made you feel alone. And I think that's the difference, that we're all here doing the same thing. And having those initiation parties really helped because they welcome you, mm. right? And they bring you in. It's just a completely different world because you're so far away from home. What else are you going to do? You can't be, you know, you can't be stuck on your own. Everyone's in the same situation. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that was probably, that's probably the reason I think we, we're still talking after yeah. 27 years. 
like like no time to lapse. What I found really interesting it was a gated uh, area with lots of apartments. We had a swimming pool, tennis courts. We had basketball. You, you had uh, public transport to get you to work and back. It was it was just an epic. Nobody place. used the sports facilities. Well, that's true. <laughs> no one used it. Yeah. But what I found really interesting there's one guy. So as Tina said, the recruitment was unbelievable. In that 95% of the people that were there when we were there were just at the same mindset. Everyone's mm. to have a great time. Yeah. You know, never been away from home before. Let's let's make the most of it. There were a handful of people that just was not for them. So we had yeah. one guy saying, this place is a prison because it's a gated community. It's like a prison. Get me out of here. And it's just really interesting how different yeah. You have to have an open mindset when you go there. Yeah. Um, because it's something you'll never experience anywhere else. In your life, I don't think. No, I don't think so. And and so was it in your second year of uni? It was my second. It was okay. my third year actually. Third year. Third okay. year of uni, I got to do a placement in Disney, which is unheard of, really. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, I've heard of obviously people going to a different country and you know doing a work placement or something yeah. like that. But yeah, I think getting getting an opportunity like that is, yeah. is pretty unique. It's brilliant. Um, so I came back, finished my last year of university, which was the best year for me. Met some amazing people who are still my very, very close friends today. Do you think that was partly because your mindset shifted or...? Yeah, I think there was a lot of issues with people that I lived with in my second year. Right. When I came back, I was a different person mm. and I didn't want to be with people that were just they, they were just not kind or just not my kind of people. Yeah. Um, so then I met other people, Lorna being one of them, uh, who's still my dearest friend today. Um, and that was the best year of uni life for me, the last year. Because Pete came you along had some as well. Fir- some first year students that were trying to, <laughs> trying to mislead you and uh, take you down the piss oh, on Broad God. Street. Yeah, sorry about that. That's okay. Final year of dissertation. Pete's like, <laughs> on a Monday night, do you want to go for a beer? I was like, mate, I've got handing my dissertation like in a week. He's like, it's yeah, only one beer. Right. It's <laughs> only one beer. 10 beers later, 3am, Nicole's does. calling, saying, where are you? <laughs> Nicole used to have some class on a Monday evening, didn't she? And we'd like, should we uh, you know, go down Broad Street on a Monday? Uh, yes, yeah, so, so I'd like to put a record, an apology for distracting your father. Yeah. Don't worry, I got a top marks in my dissertation. <laughs> there we go. Amazing, see? The, the beer helped. Exactly, exactly. Um, but no, Pete was with us in the final year, which was great as well. Um, after uni sorry just on uni do you remember so I knew that you were there there were a couple of other people there Nicole was there we walked she said right I'll show you where the student union bar is so great so we walked in the student union bar as we approached the bar a guy came up to us and said did you lot work at Disney yeah he did we're like, what <laughs> I said yeah we did he said I, rec- I went out there after you guys and I recognise you from photographs on people's walls that was a weird moment that was and to be honest I think we we had a reunion not long ago but I think the consensus was that our year was probably the best year and even people after that have said that it's never been the same I, I know, well, my sister went out after me. I know someone else whose sister went out after them. Um, they said the same, that they, they had a great time, but not in the same level. And when we went back on holiday a few years ago, um, one of the ladies that was working there, we were still there. When we, it's still there today. And she came out to see us and she was just 
uh, you know, she was she was almost uh, uh, well, she was just gushing. She just thought it was just so nice to see it was, and she she said it was such a great year that year, and it, it stuck was out in her mind. So just just to set the scene as well, what what year was it? Because obviously ninety six, no ninety seven, ninety eight, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I guess you could argue Disney was almost at its prime then, wasn't it? It like, felt like the US was at its prime. The US, Everyone wanted yeah. to be in the yeah, US. Yeah, yeah. Everyone looked up to it. It felt like it was the place to be. But I agree, it was its prime. It was also pre-social media. I used the internet for the first time. We were uh, literally the... having this conversation the other day when we went out for drinks yeah. that Andy and I set up our Hotmail accounts I did. in Epcot. <laughs> I did. It's the first time I didn't know what to do. It's been years that yeah. we've had the same email yeah. address. But that meant that we could have the parties, we could have a great time, Correct. and it wasn't blasted all over social media or yeah. videos of, uh, you know... Oh, God, if we had social media back then, <laughs> Can oh, you imagine? Geez. There would have been would a few more people terminated, <laughs> yeah. I think, we, they? Yeah, there would have been, 100%. But, but for us, we've used it as a mechanism for keeping in touch and retaining the retaining all the memories are stored in our brain but it but it also seems like it was a bit of a it was almost like everything just aligned you know it's like right timing it was sort of almost like the universe was saying you people all need to be together at the same time people right timing sort of disney at its prime yeah like you said america you know so it does start to make sense now why you guys are so enthused about it yeah, I, I think so. I mean, came back with a, a bucket load of amazing friends that we still see all the time. I came back with a, a wife. Well, not a wife. I came back with a girlfriend who's now my wife. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't bother out there. And uh, I came back with $70, which is my share of the PlayStation and everything else. I had a great time out there. Some people came back with tens of thousands of dollars, didn't they? We, we travelled. We just, mm. yeah. I think that time was for travelling and yeah. living life. Yeah. We were so young. It was. There's no point, and, and you're right. There are other people who did bring tens of thousands. Me, no, we yeah. spent it all out there. Would you recommend that your boys go out and do the same thing now? My boys are not into Disney. No, it's really sad. Mm. I think that generation passed. You've either got to be in it or not. Um, they just, they're just not into it. No, I would recommend that they do some sort of gap year if they do go to university to go abroad and I would encourage them not to do uni at home Mm. I would encourage them to go live your life sort out how you can survive yourself um but they're just not into I would you know if they were interested 100% I would I would say to them if there's something you want to do if if there's somewhere that you want to learn about culture awareness and you know a bigger picture of what the world is about then go mm. absolutely and just just on your two boys um you mentioned so what, what their ages again 17 and 12 they're going to be in next month yeah then so back to uni you graduated yeah, so i graduated from... in uh 99 yeah would you recommend doing this would you do it a bit later and travel first or, or no or because point? after 99 i was given the opportunity to go back to america yeah so I did an eighteen month. Um, oh, was it eighteen months? I eighteen months, yeah. I did an eighteen month um, stint at Marriott mm. in Atlanta that Pete came to visit yeah, we as did. well. Yeah. Wow. Um, which was through the same lady who got me into Disney. So it was an internship, mm-hmm. and again, it was great experience. Um, I learned so much. Became a supervisor very quickly. Um, that was hard graft because majority of um, the population is black mm. and they're older. And then you've got these people... Your colleagues. 
yeah, oh, my colleagues. Okay, yeah. Um, but the whole of Atlanta is, is yeah. mainly black population. And then you've got these young whippersnappers who are coming from England trying to supervise you. It didn't go down very well. So right. you had to buy their trust. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, uh, and I'm, I'm assuming it's one of those like mega Marriott's that we don't get very many over It here. was the Atlanta Marriott Marquis. It yeah, was one yeah, of the yeah. biggest. It was massive. I think it was like, I don't know, 3,000 rooms wow. in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that was great experience mm. as well. Um, and then I came back and I was offered a permanent job. And then 9-11 happened. My bags were packed. I was going and the next day 9-11 happened. So they had to retract my job. It was devastated. Otherwise I would have, you know, still been out there. But it wasn't meant to be. So I then pursued my career in hotels after that. I ended up getting a job at the Ramada up the road. I lasted there three weeks because the general manager was just awful. Really? My God. The standards, I guess, were so poor. So, po- so yeah. poor. And I was like, I know this is literally up the road from my house, but I don't want to work here. Mm. So I was then... I then interviewed for Hilton. I, just sorry, just to, I, I guess as well, you must have been a bit like, on one hand job in america it's a massive culture shock i went into some kind of depression yeah well i was good i was gonna say I mean, it was I'm... i was in i was probably depressed for a good month yeah you know i was like my world has ended i really wanted to go why me yeah. all of that rubbish well i had to snap out of it because it wasn't going to happen right so i got this job last year three weeks i was like no not for me then i got an interview at the hilton on Edgware Road, again, a massive hotel, mm. 2,000 rooms. So it was in par with something like the Marriott. Uh, I got the job and I stayed there for six years. Why? I'm just trying to think if I've stayed there. I'm sure I have. Yeah, everybody stayed there. The yeah. Metropole. Yeah. Everybody stayed there. Yeah. Uh, so I stayed there for six years. Oh, you know, it's the one with the, the sort of like wooden, uh, sort of like wood front sort of frontage uh it's on parade street um just opposite the station edgeware road station yeah no i know exactly what you mean yeah okay on the corner yeah 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 yeah. um so i did that i forgot to mention while i was at uni i was at the i was at the ibis that's where i did most of my experience because in the hilton I remember my interview the guy was like i don't really care what degree you've done what experience do you have i was like me, I've just done a four-year degree. Took a long time hard, to yeah, you know. Exactly. Uh, he wasn't interested. Really? And thank God that I had the experience from the IBS, from Disney. So I did that for six years, and then I had I got pregnant with my first boy, and obviously you can't work in hotels when you're a mother because mm. the hours are. I had to make a sacrifice, really. So I left. Um, I did a local job when my eldest was um, born for about 18 months, but I missed the buzz of the city. Um, And then I fell into facilities. I got a job at Marks and Spencer, just like as their front of house manager. They were looking for somebody who had customer experience. Um, so I, I, I went there and I was there for, what, six years? And then the rest is history. And then I just moved into the facilities um, kind of career path because that's how my 
journey kind of led me. And, but... so, and so just to be clear with facilities, so I guess obviously it's a little bit more sort of behind the scenes. It is, but there's a lot of customer service right. issues. So it goes hand in hand. Now, a lot of people want your hospitality, concierge kind of service, five-star hotel experience when it comes to facilities because they want the creme de la creme. Um, so it kind of, you need to have both hand in hand. Um, yeah. But, so I just pursued my career in facilities and that's where I still am to this day. But it's funny when you look back and the certain sequence of events that happened that, that steer you on your path to where you are today. Yeah. Isn't it? Like 9-11 and... All of, know, all, all of those, all those hurdles. <laughs> Coming back and not really feeling it. Yeah, you know. it, was, it was difficult, but... You have to keep going. Yeah. You can't stick in your in your pit of doom. No. I, I always remember, I could just go back to Disney briefly, uh, that they, they, as part of your induction programme, they said, you will in, you'll be a honeymoon period, you'll have four, five, six weeks where you're on a high, then there'll be a big dip and you'll, you'll have a, you know, a, a bit of, a, a, bit of a, a lull after that. I don't think I was ever homesick. No, I didn't happen the whole time I was there. Cause there every were a few time, people who were. Every time I was out for a bit, I was like, Andy, is your, is your lull here yet? <laughs> no. Nope. Uh, so we parted the whole year. My God, it hit when I went back home in February yeah. to a small village in East Yorkshire. The it lull was... is just real. Mm. It's really real mm. when you've been somewhere so eccentric and so with so many passionate people and then you come back on your own and you're like, oh. And you get back and everyone's doing the same thing. Yeah, oh, where are all my people? A, I haven't seen you for a week. Where, have you just been away for a year? Yeah. But So, um, so that's my career. Um, but we've had some ups and downs. So I was um, diagnosed with primary cancer in 2020. Um, I found a lump in my breast and I just went to get it checked out. Um, the nurse was like, oh, you know, it's middle of the pandemic. So I went to GP surgery. She's like, well, we'll just get it checked out. Um, but it's going to be about a two week wait, but Thankfully, I had private healthcare, so I got an appointment the next day to see a breast surgeon. And um, my breast surgeon isn't very good at giving good news. <laughs> His face says it all. I mean, I've known him now for a long time, mm. so I kind of know. But he had basically said to me that he was ninety nine percent sure, and we did all the checks and everything that I had cancer. Um, so that was that. And it took about 10 days before I started chemotherapy. So my journey would be chemo, a mastectomy and radiotherapy. Right in the middle of the pandemic. Right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and, so, and sorry, just just to what what was sort of the signals that you were like, I need to go and get this checked out? It was just the lump was really big. <clears throat> right. Um, and it just didn't feel right. Mm. That's. The, but I had no pain, nothing else. Um, I was physically well. Mm. So that was the only kind of signal. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, I did go because apparently the cancer had been growing in my body for about six months. Wow. And if I'd gone earlier, it would, might have been a different kind of diagnosis. So I was diagnosed with stage three um, aggressive breast cancer. 10 days before chemo started 
um, they give you a tour around the clinic where you go and have your treatment. And I was just like, me, I can't do this. And that's where I met my friend, um, who was just, she was amazing. She was like, it's nothing, you can do it, you know? She looked beautiful. It was like nothing was wrong. Um, so she gave me a kick up the arse, and I still remember to this day, she was like, when I gave you my number, I was like, oh, my God, you're gonna be, she's going to be ringing me and calling me and doing my head in. But we're, like... The friendship we've made is that we just have to send one message and we laugh, like his belly laugh. We just laugh at crap. But that's the kind of friendship that we've created. Yeah. So, so, what was, so the context was you were, you were having a tour. And I met her there. Just literally on the yeah, tour. Yeah, the nurse basically said, I'm going to introduce you to somebody. Mm. And that one person made a difference to me mm. and my mental state at that stage because... I was in the state of this is not me. I can't do this. Mm. That just that one person made a difference. What's she called? Lax. Lax. Yeah, she's amazing. amazing. Obviously. Uh, so chemo started, and I decided to take it head on. I kept on working. It was my choice. I didn't want to stop working. We were all working from home, anyways. So I didn't have to see anybody per se. Um, Harvey and the boys knew you, obviously. Yeah. yeah. That must have been a difficult conversation as well. Um, my boys were quite young at that stage, so I don't think they understood as much. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it was difficult. But, you know, they saw me lose my hair, and I was very open with them that this is thing, my body's going to change, I'm going to lose my hair. But I had amazing wigs. Which were like it was amazing. You didn't even know. I know, it was incredible. <laughs> they were um, real hair. So when I was on camera, a lot of people didn't know at work mm. at that stage because I didn't want it to make. I didn't want a pity party, as I said to Pete earlier. Just, just sort of with that decision of. Sorry, I've sort of cut your question off, no, but I was no. just going to say, sort of with that decision to continue working. Um, why do, you, why do you think you did that? Because I wanted a purpose. Yeah. I couldn't just sit at home and just be boohoo, poor me. I needed something to keep my brain from forgetting about what I was going through. Mm. And that helped me a lot. I mean, work have been amazing. They've never pressured me to work full time. They've never pressured me into anything. In fact, they want me to stop, and I'm like, I'll tell you when I want to stop, mm. kind of thing. Mm. Um, so we went through that, and I went into remission in 2021. So that was in remission uh, for a year. And then in November of 2022, I found a, another lump in the same on my mastectomy scar and the doctors had said it was a local reoccurrence which is it happens mm. uh, I was like okay so we, we we surgically removed that um and things were okay they said um there's nothing else in your body at this stage um actually they did a ct scan um, there's lots of different scans that you can do. There's a CT and an MRI, and there's a PET scan. And the difference is a CT 
is mainly um, above your shell. The MRI goes a bit deeper into your bones and the PET scan goes through all your nerves and blood vessels. Um, so they did a CT scan and I think from torso up and there was nothing in. And then they pressurised me into getting a bone scan. And I was reluctant because I was like, why? Why do you want to kind of go into the lion's den? Uh, you know, I don't have any... I don't have any pain. I don't have any issues. So I had said no. Mm. Um, but then I thought, uh, let's just do it. Uh, and unfortunately, the scans came back with um, lesions in my hips. So the, the cancer was now in my bones, which means that it's now metastatic, which means it goes to stage four, which means it's now incurable. Mm. <laughs> So I had um, I had something called CyberKnife, which is targeted radiotherapy in my hips, which eradicated that. Um, and I was on immunotherapy at that stage, which so immunotherapy is um, it's a targeted treatment. It's not chemo. It targets the cells that are cancerous and makes them non-cancerous if it works. Um, so that was in December, 2022, did the key, did the cyber knife in January, 23, and then it just got progressively worse. So then this cancer decided to spread into my spine. Um, so we stopped one treatment and started another immunotherapy. Just, just because it clearly wasn't. Helping. It wasn't working. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then. <clears throat> that decided to go into my liver. So now I'm on chemotherapy again. But it's oral chemotherapy. So there's lots of different types of... I do this at home. One thing I will say is when I first got diagnosed, I decided to come become an advocate for myself. So I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of research, lots of PubMed... Med, um, papers and my oncologist and I have a running joke because he's like, you know, you either come in the morning or the afternoon. I'm not having you in between because you're going to have so many bloody questions <laughs> and, and you're basically going to ruin my day because <laughs> you're going to tell me what to do and I'm just going to sit here and put my head in my hands and just write whatever you say. But that time. is am- you told us that when we met in the summer, which is just an- amazing. Because I think so many people yeah. just accept their fate. Mm. And they don't do the research. So I do a lot of alternative medicines as well. I have a functional oncologist who basically just looks at alternative medicine. So I'm a lot I'm on a lot of different supplements mm-hmm. to block certain pathways. Which which ones? Which ones? Mate. Which ones are you not? Which ones, which are, ones not? are you not on? Um I take I've got to remember this. So I take vitamin D. I take black seed oil, I take melatonin, I take um, a mushroom tablet. It's got like 15 different mushrooms mm-hmm. in them. I take um, um, my God, my brain. I take a bone strengthening one. Um, I take modified um, citrus something. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I take a variety of other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I have to make sure that it doesn't... Um, so, so this is... So my chemo works one week on, one week off. So this is my on week, so I don't take any supplement. I take one supplement, which right. is the mushroom, and I take a bio, oh, probiotic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the off week, um, I take all those supplements. Um, I also work with a, a homopathic um, doctor because I need to function, right? And I don't have time to not function. Mm. So I take all of this to help with the side effects and touch wood you know i have crappy days but the main the main side effect right now is like fatigue mm. like always tired but you're still but working I but i still work you're still working you're still, still managing the house still managing, the the house, still managing my boys because i can do it right now yeah and i don't believe in waiting now life's too short I have to go grab life. So I get scanned every three months. And in those three months, I make sure that there's lots of fun stuff. So I'd, I'd love to come back to the treatment side. Yeah. Um, but just going back a little bit from almost that, from finding the lump to the first diagnosis onwards, I mean, could you sort of give a bit of a flavour on the kind of emotional journey? So I... The chemo, if I'm honest was okay it was manageable um there's a lot of scaremongering yeah they give you all this paperwork and they give you all the side effects so straight away you think you're going to get all of these side effects right and you just wait and you wait and you wait and that was administered via the valve. So I have a port yeah. fitted, which again was a godsend because a pick line is that goes into your vein in your arm and it stays in there and it's super painful. Mm. But I have a port which is basically a plug. Uh, so it goes under the skin. I would recommend a port to anybody. It's like a twilight surgery that you have. It goes under the skin and the chemo is administrated through a plug. Um... And you just have the chemo. It doesn't feel, you don't feel anything. Like, you don't feel like it's going through your veins. It doesn't burn. It doesn't hurt. It's nothing. You don't even know it's going in until you go home and you experience all the side effects. How Um, long does it take for those to kick in? It depends, really. Uh, It depends on your body. depends on a lot of things. Mm. Some people don't. And this is the thing. Everybody's journey is different. Mm. You're not going to have the same side effects as everybody else. You're not going to feel the same thing as everybody else. I've always been, I've always had a positive approach to this because if I, and there, trust me, there were some serious downward spirals as well, right? But I have to pick myself out of there. And it's been, it was hard Mm. to get yourself out of that pit of doom but I felt walking really helped. I used to walk every day just to get out of the house and get some fresh air, get your blood circulating. Mm. Exercise is the best medicine for when you're going through cancer treatment. If you can be bothered, two weeks of Christmas has done nothing. <laughs> <laughs> the first episode we recorded was with a friend of ours, Paul Smith, and he, he had 
really bad cancer in his uh, appendix, appendix, wasn't it? And he, yeah. he, he trained for the Ironman. That's what I mean. Just, yeah, he just had to get out and start training. Yeah, ha- it's mind over matter. Yeah. It really is. I um, I met my dear friend who unfortunately passed away, uh, Caroline. I think about her a lot. She, um, first day I met her, she just she wasn't in a good place at all, right? And she said to me, she goes, are you in the right place? The gym's over there. I was like, no, I've come for chemo. She couldn't believe mm. that I was here for treatment. She's like, why do you look so happy? I was like, but why do you look so sad? Mm. You know? Mm. Things just weren't working for her. Unfortunately, she passed away. Mm. Um, and that was hard. She passed away probably two years <laughs> after her diagnosis. But right. her cancer spread into her brain. Things went wrong in the NHS. It was just a really unfortunate situation. How old was she, Tina? She was 45. Really? Yeah. And she was so lovely. I read an article once, and I don't know if this is true or not, but a doctor wrote an article basically saying that if you go into chemo unhappy and thinking it's not going to work, your cells shut down and it's not going to work, you have to believe that the medicine is going to make you better. Almost like a placebo. Right. Because you don't know what they're putting in you. Mm. It's poison, right? But the poison is what's going to make you better, hopefully. Um, But alternative therapy, food is also a thing. So I don't... I switched from... I don't have dairy. I don't eat red meat. I don't eat... I don't drink alcohol anymore because... The cancer in your body is caused by inflammation. So, and all of those categories cause inflammation in your body. Um, I don't know if the alternative is making a difference, but I have to believe Mm. Mm. that it's doing something, right? And all those alternative things that you talked about, is that stuff you've, the research you've done on your own, or is it just stuff you've kind of amalgamated over? I've done lots people? of research on my own. I join, I've on a lot of different Facebook groups that are really helpful. So it's not about posting, it's about collecting yeah. information. And I go to my oncologist with all of these things. So the chemo that I'm on currently on now, the normal regime is two weeks on, one week on. But there's a trial in the US, and I wish the UK was ahead of its time, but the US is so far ahead mm. when it comes to cancer treatments, etc. But there's a trial um, in the US where they do one week on, one week off, and I told my oncologist, I'm not doing two weeks on, one week off. I'm doing one week on, one week off, and here's the bloody trial. <laughs> he was like, okay. <laughs> but but is, that, is that a... It sounds like you've got a good... Good doctor, because it sounds like he's open-minded. He's very open-minded. He does <coughs> normally say what I tell him to say. <laughs> he's a professor, do. right? He's a professor. <laughs> he's, he's one of the top professors. I mean, going back to the immunotherapy last year, he was very clear he didn't want me to do it. Mm. Because he was like, the cancer's in your bones. This is not going to help you. I was like, yeah, but I'm not ready to go back onto chemo. So he reluctantly... Let me do it mm. twice, but he didn't say I told you so. Yeah, right. 
because he's very good at listening and accepting that it's my life, it's my body, I need to be ready for whatever you're going to throw at me. I'm not just going to do it because you say I'm going to do it when I need to go back and do some research and find out what else I can put into this kind of protocol. He's he's not very happy about supplements, but I'm like, well, I'm still going to take them, so... Yeah, so, <laughs> so just, I guess, um, so my, my old man's a, a dentist, which obviously is, it's not, it's not in that category or calibre, but he, um, <clears throat> he keeps himself very involved in, uh, and funny enough, his job was, his main specialty was removing amalgam yes. fillings, so like mercury, heavy metals, and his biggest thing has always been about supplementation, but where I'm going with this is that he... How he, one of his biggest frustrations over decades is how the medical community will not accept that supplementation is even a thing in some in some cases or a lot of cases um but also that you know it's kind of it's it's just unless it's that blunt thing I've been taught at university or I've been taught this way it's like a little bit of a rejection of kind of so I don't know if that was is is that what you've experienced 100% my oncologist is 65 years old he's a professor <clears throat> but I think that medicine is so far ahead mm. that it's really hard for them to keep up with new things that are coming out right but this is where you have to become your own advocate and find that research and go to your doctors and say, I've got this. And one thing I will say, I won't do something that is going to cause me harm. I will make sure that it's from a an article that's been published medically, right? And this is where I use... Yeah, and this is where I think the US is so far ahead because that's where I get most of my research from. But I think in the UK... They don't have that knowledge. And supplements, oncologists always frown upon supplements. And I still don't know why. It's very rare to find an oncologist who will be supportive of extra supplements that you're doing. Because in their mind, and I'll say it today, cancer is big money, right? I honestly think there is a cure, but the government will release it because it's, it costs too much. It's, it's making too much money for people. And... One in two people now have cancer in this country. By the, by the way, I know quite a few people who share that opinion. It's ridiculous. From, from I mean, Pete knows I quite like a conspiracy theory, but I know people who've actually you know engaged and interacted with some pretty big pharmaceutical companies. And again, I've never investigated it because I'm like that can't be true. But you know, I, I I'm I'm. As cynical as you on Honestly, what the reality potentially could be. 31 people die every day from metastatic cancer. Yeah? And that's ridiculous. That you can't provide a cure for something as big as cancer, but you can make a, a jab in less than two years and have the whole country act like sheep and get them to put it in their arm. And honestly, I think 
that I got metastatic cancer after I took the COVID jab. The timing works out as well, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot there's out a lot there. There's a lot out there about that as well. There's a lot out there. Right? Yeah. Is it because, I mean, we could talk about this till the cows come home, but is it because they want to do a big reset in the world by killing off a lot of people because there's too many people in the world? You know, it's just, it's just not very nice. One in two people have cancer mm. now. Have or will have? Have. In the UK? In the UK. There's so many people now. And what's worse is in my cancer unit, there's women in there who are less than 30 who have cancer. I mean, I'm 47. Yeah, going to be 48. I've lived a good life. These girls are in their 20s, 30s. What life have they lived? It's shocking, and, and conspiracy theories. Um, you know, I'm all out there for that. Well, I think I think it's it's a, it, conspiracy theory is a term which I find quite frustrating mm. because it almost alludes instantly to the fact that it could be complete. It's just like it's just some lunatic guy sitting in his basement who's just coming up with stories. But the reality is, is that you know, again, if you look at COVID. Um, I don't care. I'll say what I want. It's it's our freaking podcast. Um, <laughs> no, but if you, if you look at, for example, the way that COVID was approached, <clears throat> I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I don't doubt it's a serious virus. But what I can't understand is why were the, why were the government so quick to not entertain therapeutics? And how long does it take to make a jab in real history time? Mm. For something like that, right? Yeah. Was it normally seven to ten years? Yeah, but they created something in less than what eighteen months, and that's what I believe that my cancer got metastatic because of the COVID jab. My situation is what it is now. I can't reverse it. I'm always going to have cancer till the day I die. Yeah. Right, and it's a shit position to be in. Let's be honest, but I choose life right now and mm. what will happen when it happens that's what is up to the universe so uh, did the did your first did your first um diagnosis come pre the jab uh, no no okay um mm-mm-mm. interesting no it didn't because it was may 2020 and the first jab was in 2021 Okay. Yeah. But there is some theory, and I, I think for me it's about finding somebody to blame. But I did read up that breast cancer is related to grandparents who've had prostate cancer, and both my granddads had prostate cancer. So I will go back to my oncologist and say, is this theory correct? And if he says yes, then I can blame them. <laughs> I heard that somewhere as well. It's related to prostate on this. On, on See, yeah, yeah I've heard that both of them had yeah. it. So you know, when my time's up, I'll be looking for them and saying, <laughs> you, you know, you did this to me. <laughs> but I think what's really good is you're as much as we're we're sort of let's say having a fairly, con- I don't know, sort of what's the word. Uh, we're having a conversation which is sort of trying to find reasons 
You're not angry about it. You don't... I, I was angry, yeah. Adam. I've been angry. But what is anger going to get me? Mm. I, I can't sit here and say, poor me, boo-hoo, why is it me? Right? Why would it be anybody? It's going to drain energy, waste Absolutely. energy. But... I can't be angry anymore. I have a great therapist. I read a lot on um, death. Not to be morbid. Was. Just to understand. Because I've accepted the fact that my lifespan is going to be shorter than others. Right? It may not be, but the the theory and the odds against it is that's how it's going to be. And if I can learn about what happens when you die, etc., and I can explain it to my family, it's less traumatic, I guess. Mm. It'll, it, I'm sure it'll be traumatic for them, but for me, it's more like, okay, I understand what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. So you guys need to accept that these are the... These are the um, stages um, but mostly I don't think about cancer I just think about my day only when I have to take my medication it's like boring it's relentless do you, do you feel though that you've got used to it now yeah because um, I'm sure again going back to sort of the emotional roller coaster, I'm sure at first your brain would have been like what about the kids what about this all of, all of that and in my mind, I want to stay alive for five years because then my eldest will be 16. And I think he'll be old enough to understand. Uh, uh, youngest. Youngest, yeah, sorry, yeah, will yeah, be 16. Yeah, yeah. So he'll understand, I hope, mm. at that stage. Um, anything above that is a bonus, right? Yeah, I think about the kids and I think about my husband, but... When you're not here, you don't have that control. And they'll they'll just have to get on with it. As as harsh as it sounds. Yeah, absolutely. They're gonna have to. Well it's the truth. It's the it's, it's the reality. Fact. Yeah. It's the reality. Yeah. I'm not here anymore, you're gonna have to just get on with it. Um I have organised my own funeral, because this is something I wanted to do. And it's gonna be a great party. You're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to love it. You're so well organised. Yeah, because it was... That if I've got the power to do it yeah. now, then, you know, it's less one thing for them to worry about. So, so just going back a little bit, touching on your rebel childhood, yeah. but, you know, not a lot of people approach these... Mm. I have no idea how I would approach a similar situation. I guess no one does. But where do you think your approach, mindset, view has come from? Because, you know, not every, like your friend, unfortunately, you know, it didn't sound circumstantially that it went her way. But even still, it didn't sound like her mindset was great. It wasn't. It, it wasn't from day one. <clears throat> um, Is it a combination of your life experiences that's kind of... I don't know. I've always been a... I've always tried to look on the bright side of life and getting a cancer diagnosis is shit, right? At a young age, I'm not that old. You always think that cancer comes for people when they're 80s, <clears throat> 70s, 80s, when you're old, right? 
But what do you do, Adam? Do you put your head in the sand and just deteriorate every day? Well, some people do. And they do, mm. right? But I believe if you do that, then you're letting the cancer win. And it's going to get you sooner rather than later. You're not going to be living the life that you have now. I totally agree. You've got If you've got the energy to do it now, do it. But it's funny talking about COVID, by the way, just as a slight side note, is I have a theory that anxiety makes COVID worse and worrying about COVID makes it worse. And I, I'm convinced it does. All those people that died, that had COVID on their death certificate, what happened to flu that year? Mm. What happened to pneumonia that year? How do we know that they didn't have under health underlining health conditions mm. we don't know right and we weren't seeing a continual ticker of no. the winter flu virus from the year before nothing and the media and... just I had to turn it off I turned all it's notifications it's what the media is telling yeah, you you don't yeah. know well, what's was... happening you don't know how many people actually died exactly and I think the the fear porn that particularly Sky News and a few other outlets was so bad at doing really? I just it it worries me so much how much that must have impacted people's mindsets during that period. The mental health element of it all was ridiculous. And we're still feeling the effects of it, I Absolutely. think, with the younger generation. We've got a, um, a psychologist coming on in a couple of weeks' time to talk about general anxiety disorder because it's sky high with what the, they... the teenagers, mm. what they've gone through mm. is just... Well, but also some of, the, some of your friends with treatment being impacted. You know, so just coming back to your question, I've decided to become positive over mm, it because mm. I don't want... So I'm living with cancer. Yeah. Cancer's not living with me. Mm. That makes sense. Absolutely. You're tackling it head on. You're not running away with fear. You're I know what's coming. And you're a force of nature. And I, I've tried to explain <laughs> this. I think it's so inspiring. You told me the other day, I'm not an inspirational person. I'm like, you're kidding me. I mean, <laughs> but you, you're tackling it head on. You're positive... You know, you're working with what you've got. And not only that, you're helping other people. You're going out of your way now to try and help other people. Just one person, if I can help one person. So you're working with a charity? So I'm working with a charity called Future Dreams, who are, they're dedicated to breast cancer patients. Um, I've had the senior leadership team of my company reach out to me. And to me, that's like, I'm just a small fish in the pond. As I'm working with one of the heads with this charity to see what we can do for them as a company. Um, because it, I go there and I did a, I did the race for life for cancer research. Mm. I won't do it again because if I compare two charities, Future Dreams is a very small charity and I know that whatever money they make, it goes into the people. I don't know where the cancer research money goes. There's another thing about the whole charity basis. How do we actually know that they're doing research? Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Where is that money going? I raised five grand for that charity. Mm. Is it going in the wages? Going into admin? How much is actually going into getting a cure they, for cancer? A lot of them are businesses. Absolutely. We, we all, all of them are. We all know that, yeah. All of them are. So I refuse to give money to big charities now. Mm. Not doing it. Because it's not bringing me any worth to what I'm going through. You're not giving yeah. me anything back. But I think what you've, you've got is a really healthy, positive, but sort of cynical, <sighs> cyni like yeah. positively cynical view on it, which is, is realistic. And I think 
I think this is sometimes again where I get frustrated. Not that I'm medical, not that I, you know I have any training, but it's. I think sometimes it's so easy for people to just assume that people just know what they're doing, that they're they're right, they're up to speed. It's all you can do, like. And it feels that your sort of approach to this, it almost even sounds like your doctor is almost being like, hey, you could be right. <laughs> like... Well, yeah, because, I, look, I don't know what I'm doing is right. I'm just going to go with my gut. You're doing with what's right for you. Right, though. I'm yeah. doing what I think is right for yeah. me. Yeah. And if there's a glimmer of hope that the alternative way is going to help me, then I'm going to take it. Because it's not doing me any harm. I haven't seen anything that's saying that, no, it's not, it's not good for you. What do you th- say, because obviously Steve Jobs is a high-profile case of someone who um, I guess you could argue took a similar... Well, he, he rejected chemo, I think, right, was his story. Yeah. And I think it was a real shame because he's such a high-profile person who tried to take his own alternate view and path but obviously now everybody uses him as this this sort of example. <clears throat> so there are people out there who have refused chemo. I don't think I'm brave enough to do that because I need to prolong my life. And there are times where I've thought, I don't want to do chemo, mm. right? I don't want to lose my hair again. But that's just vanity, my limbs are still alive. I'm still alive. I'm not brave enough to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And and to me, it does seem that, um, I guess the success success stories you hear are a kind of a hybrid, as in they are. And how do you actually know that they're not fabricated in any way for people to just buy the product? Yeah, absolutely. Business again, like. Yeah. You know, we can talk about CBD oils and Mm. the THC oils and all of that, right? You don't know what is actually going in your body. You don't know what effects it's going to make. And that worries me a little bit. So I will only go to people that I trust because... But I'm not brave enough not to do chemo. Yeah, and I think if I I would be in the same position, I'm sure. Because it's about prolonging life. Yeah. Yeah. And the the crap that comes with it, you're going to have to deal with it. But if it keeps you alive, that's a bonus. Of course, yeah. And in terms of the next scan, you said tomorrow, Tina? Tomorrow. Is yeah. Is this the three-monthly scan? This is the three-monthly. And I've had crappy scans all last year. It was progression, progression, progression. But I've got a good feeling about tomorrow. Because my blood work is good. The doctor seemed like he was happy. I've got some skin mets as well, which he felt that were, that were reducing. So I'm hoping that we start the new year with some good results. Amazing. Keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you say that, you know, stage four means it's incurable. So, for example, let's say you get a good scan tomorrow. What could that mean? So there are various kind of um, stages, I guess. So you can get... A scan that shows stable, which means there's no growth anywhere else, which is great. At this stage, that's all I'm looking for. Yeah. You could get a scan that shows a reduction in tumours, which is also good news. You can also get a scan that shows no evidence of disease, which means all your cancer cells are dormant. That doesn't mean 
that you don't have cancer. It just means all your cancer cells are not doing anything at this stage. And um, what could have impacted or affected them to the point where that's the outcome? Is it just the treatments? Treatments, just kind of, yeah, yeah, and scanning diet, and yeah. diet and all of the Chemos. stuff that I talked about, yeah. Um, it's possible to get to no evidence of disease, which would be a massive win. Mm. Um, but tomorrow I'm just looking for a stable scan. So I, I guess what is, and so tell me if I'm asking two direct questions, but what what would be, what are you hoping for, really? Like In life, yeah, right now? Yeah, what, what's... Longevity. Yeah. Just to be alive as possible as I can with, but to be able to do it as normal as possible. Yeah. I don't want to be in a situation where I'm bedridden because that's not quality of life. Mm-hmm. I choose quality of life over quantity. And you've been going for it, haven't you? The last yeah. six to 12 months. 12 months, months in terms of epic, epic, epic Three holidays days. last year, <laughs> concerts. <laughs> yeah. What were some of the highlights? Oh, my God, the holidays. I did Thailand last year, then I did Morocco a month later, then I did New York a month later after that. I love travelling, and if I'm able to do it, I will do it. Um, just being with people that I want to be mm. with. One thing that I think that cancer has taught me, there are a lot of people who bring their own drama mm. because they don't know how to deal with it, and that's okay. You know, that's 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 up that's you. But I'll park you for now because I can't. I don't have the energy. Absolutely. The the one thing which is really pressing in my mind, and uh, you know, we we listen to that that podcast I shared with you yesterday about um, sort of mental health, you know, the way that, the way that um, this podcast basically was almost like mental health's gone too far the other way. Mm. And as in people are finding very, very small things, very, very difficult. Yeah. Do you, do you find sometimes you're around people and you're like, oh my God, seriously? all the time, Adam, <laughs> I'm like, mate, you ain't got a problem. Yeah. yeah. But I don't say that because for them it's trivial, right? Because what I get in return is, oh, but your problems are so much bigger. My answer to that always is your problem, is it means a lot to you. Mm. So that's your problem. It's all and it's context. a big problem for you. Mm. My problem is my problem. You can't compare, mm. right? If the problem that you have is causing you issues, then you need to deal with that. Mm. Um, but yes, to your answer, I think sometimes, mate, you don't know what you are. <laughs> like, this trivial things. Oh, my cat. I'm like, come on, guy. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. Mental health has gone the other way. Yeah, and obviously I'm really glad that it's getting, you know, yeah. it's getting the, the attention it deserves. But you know, we also are kind of starting to move into it, especially with COVID, teenagers coming out of COVID. You know, I'm seeing even people in my net, my close network <laughs> Who yeah are again? I don't I don't mean to be mean, but fragile. They're using it in the wrong way. Yeah. Um. But I think as companies, they will start to pick up on it mm. and think, mm, okay, I have people who are like off work with stress because they can't. My job isn't stressful, mm. but I'm like, why are you stressed? Just calm down. Mm. You know, it's just a job. You're not saving lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but hoping that it will come back to where it should be. 
And I guess a follow-on question from that is, you said you did three, four trips, and good on you. But I think... So I have this very weird, morbid <laughs> saying that I think I've picked up from someone else, which is, we're all going to die, and that's a good thing. The reason I mean that is because, obviously, I want to live as long as I can. But actually, the beauty of life is that you die, so you have to do something with your life. Correct. And I think one of... I struggle with it all the time because, you know, I'm very grateful for what we've got, but I know I could be doing more. And sometimes I'm challenging myself, which is, am I waiting for something to give me such a smack in the head? Right. So you're right. And if I didn't have a cancer diagnosis, I would be that same person. Mm. I'd be like, we'll do it next year or we'll wait till next year. I don't have time. Mm. And the advice I would give to anybody is don't wait because it doesn't matter if you've got a cancer diagnosis or you've got whatever. Nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Nobody. Right? So live your life for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's one day at a time. That's all you can do. You hear so many stories about people that are saving everything for their retirement. They retire so and then... I'm not doing that. Yeah. Like, I would rather spend my money and have memories with my children and they can think, wow, we did so much. Yeah. Yeah, money comes and goes. They'll be all right. I saw something the other day and it said, um, 15 years ago, our parents said to us, D you can either have Christmas presents or go and have an epic holiday. My and children would always choose a holiday. And for 15 years, they've yeah. been doing epic holidays. Which they've remembered every single holiday. Absolutely. But they don't remember any of the presents they got before they went no, on No, because presents are just, they're just nothing. They're materialistic, right? Ad's dropped a, a classic this year, didn't he? It's not Christmas presents, it's Christmas presents, as in being present. Present, that's not very good. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. It is about being present yeah. in the moment. Yeah, I struggle with it, but I need to get better at it. But it's... I think we all do, to mm. be honest. But there's so many distractions. Yeah, mm. I mean, I tend to book loads of crap on one day and Harvey goes mad. He's like, one thing, <laughs> yeah. you know, not five. Yeah. He's like, you're going to cancel anyways. Right. <laughs> do you find you having to kind of pick and choose yeah, what you Yeah, I do. And doing? some yeah. days I'm tired and I'll just cancel. Yeah. Got to use a cancer card whenever you can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I've got cancer, got... you know. I can't come. Yeah. <laughs> and what's now? I know it's difficult to look too far in advance. Obviously, you've got your scan tomorrow. But what what's what is next? What what do you what have you got left to do? What kind of cool stuff do you want to fill your calendar? I want to climb Kilimanjaro. Do you? Yeah. Wow. And we're actually looking at that at work currently. Um, part of the CSR program, Corporate Social Responsibility Giving Back. So that is one thing that is on my bucket list. Well, if I can do it, it's not a bad thing to have on the bucket list. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've always wanted to do it. Wow. I don't know how far I'll get. Yeah. I'll give it a good bloody try. Wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't really have anything else. Any of the trips? Pressing. Maybe. No, not yet. We were talking about stuff. Right. Um, my kids are spoiled. They want to go everywhere across the world where we've never been. But you know what? It's memories. Um, but just one day at a time. Yeah. If those trips happen, great. Yeah. If they it's don't, a bonus. they don't. Yeah. 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 And have you found more joy in the kind of day to day stuff? Do you appreciate stuff more on a day to day basis? No, I hate it. <laughs> right. I hate it. Right. Such a 
slug. Yeah. It's just awful some days. It's just like, oh, this is so boring. Right. Do you mean as in... Like work-life. As in, just yeah. work, just life, just Even, mundane yeah, stuff, it, right? Nothing to do with cancer. Nothing just, to do with yeah, cancer. Yeah. Just life in general. Sometimes you're like, oh, this is so rubbish. No, but I think what I meant more was, in more, are you more appreciative of stuff that maybe oh, you weren't so before? No. No. I should be. Yeah. I think... I think life gets so busy and this is why I said that I don't really think about cancer every day because job home running a house it all becomes Mm. one thing Mm. and I forget I only remember when I have to take my medicine (laughs) why I'm taking it yeah you know touch wood I don't have any aches or pains I don't have mobility issues um I have a great team. One thing I forgot to mention is I also am part of the local hospice team because when my uh, medical team referred me, I was like, dude, I'm not dying. They're like, no, no, no. They have in-house patient care as well, which is fantastic. Get free massages, free acupuncture. It's all free. Right. Um, So... They've been amazing and I didn't realise how much support they actually give you. I'm with a doctor there as well who checks in with me every three months. So I'm in their system now, um, which is great. But So in your on your journey, which is, we talked about being four years in nearly, isn't nearly it? Four years. You've amassed four years so much June. knowledge, information, experience. You just talked about the hospice the other yeah. day. All of this stuff, if someone's at the beginning of their journey where do they start where do they even scratch the surface for this they don't and I think that's where we fail even in the private sector they don't give you that information you have to go look for it and that's the sad thing about it if you don't become your own advocate you're not going to get any of this information you have to find it yourself the aftercare when you're signed off like when I was in remission was awful it's like, off you go. But you've just been through such a traumatic journey. What do you do? Right? So it's it's unfortunate. They give you leaflets, but no one's going to read leaflets. Mm, mm. The standard NHS leaflet. Yes, no yeah. one's going to read that. Yeah. Because you're already going through such a traumatic journey. You physically need somebody to tell you, these are your options. This is what you need to do. This is where you need to go. Mm. Let me help you book these places for you. Let me talk to this person for you. Do you know what I mean? You need that bit of hand-holding. I'm Mm. also assuming that once you were in remission, probably no one said, you know, it can come back. You might want to follow this diet. You might want to do this. You might want this exercise. So what they say to you, eat what you want. Eat all the carbs you want. Eat all the junk food that you want. You need all the energy. That's what they tell you on the first day. It's just... (laughs) mind-numbingly frustrating. Yeah. But as a normal patient, you would follow that And advice. how many people would question that advice? Nobody. Because it's coming from a healthcare professional. But what were we watching... Sorry to interrupt, but what were we watching yesterday yeah. when the um, mayor of New York got really severe type 2 diabetes? He started going blind just out of nowhere. And he was in hospital. And he made an observation, which is like, hold on, you're giving people the food that's put them here 
Yeah. And you're continuing to feed them it. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying it very well. No, but, but it's, it's exactly that. It's true. That's exactly it. Because they don't know any better, right? And they can't be bothered. But nobody gives you that advice. You started a foundation locally in New York that delivers plant and whole food to hospitals, one, two days a week, specifically to try and help them get better rather than the normal stuff that got them there in the first place. It's you're supposed to eat 30 vegetables a week. To give you, I mean, mm. I don't eat thirty vegetables a mm. week. I try, but the diet, the environment, we're just in a rut, and nobody tells you that. Well, you, it, the diversity of the diet will help build your microbiome up and help your defense mechanism, yeah. won't it? But it's hard to not be cynical when you see that the medical industry is. I am going to come across like a conspiracy theorist, but. <laughs> <laughs> the it's not you, you're questioning well it's just it's so easy to see that you know it, how it's hard to not put the connection between the food industry helping the medical industry mm. the medical industry helping the pharmaceutical industry they're not going to make any money if a lot of people are well and I just, no that's what I said to you it's a business and I can't mm. I just can't help but look beyond that and again this isn't about this podcast or conversations about conspiracy theories but it's just really frustrating in a way that actually you're having to do that level of research. And yeah, because I want to, right? If I was a patient that just believed the doctors, I wouldn't be doing any of that. And I don't think it's the doctor's fault either because they have so many patients, they don't have time, mm. but they need to have somebody in their team to be able to give all of that information and help patients um, know who to call, mm. what to do, you know, let me book this, etc. I mean, I think the one thing I will say, just to, to bring a little bit more, um, I listened re recently to a book called Outlive or something like that by Peter Atia, I can't remember what it's called. Um, it's fantastic, but he covers the four main, he calls them the four horsemen, which is heart disease, um, uh, brain, you know, brain disease, and obviously cancer is one of them. I guess the really shocking thing, which I actually didn't realise about the research, you know, he's a PhD, Stanford PhD, very, very, very detailed, is, yeah, heart disease is the biggest yeah. um, killer that actually can be controlled you know it's purely it's purely lifestyle uh unless it's obviously you know a structural problem with your heart but uh, you know heart disease is, is a lifestyle disease mm. it's controllable um 87 of deaths in the us don't need to happen but it's because of the standard us diet et well, yeah etc yeah. etc et the thing that actually really freaked me out or at least was quite shocking actually cancer is just random like, yeah, it's 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 genetics or something has basically gone wrong with your immune system. Yeah, they say that it starts from your gut bio. So if your gut bio is not healthy, then everything else goes skew mm. if. Mm. Or if you've got prostate cancer, somebody in the family. <laughs> Let's just go with that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I guess the point is, is regardless, you can just be unlucky. You can do everything yeah, right and still be unlucky. Vegans, the most healthy people, mm. have got cancer. Yeah. And they're just like, 
I'm the m- most healthiest person in this world. It's just something it, that you're wired has gone mm. wrong. Mm. But again, good for you for not being pissed off about it. You know? I have been pissed off though, yeah, well, Adam. Yeah, right? of course, of course. But what, I'm like over it now. Because mm. why, you know, I could be pissed off for the rest of my life. What's it going to get me? Cancer's not going to well, go away. It's not going to get you up Kilimanjaro. That's no, sure. it's not, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Maybe you could go up there really angry. Really angry, I'm going to get up there. Throwing, throwing rocks up. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Cancer. <laughs> It's such a refreshing outlook and um, attitude towards it all, though. Honestly, it's such inspiration. I think that it's hard work. And I know that a lot of people think that I'm inspiring, and and thank you, but I just think cancer is a full-time job. Mm. It's literally relentless. It's full-time reading, researching... Mm. What's next? Oh, this might work. This might work. Yeah. It must be draining. Just trying it's to draining. process everything. It is. It, it it's exhausting. Un- yeah. And some days I'm just exhausted with it all mm. and I just go in a hole because I'm like, I can't... Not today, Cancer. Mm. I can't do you today. Mm. Mm. Um, and Harvey's been a rock, you said. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing, Legend. amazing. Yeah. Um, but most days it's okay. Mm. You know? And so I have to go with that that the lows are less and the highs are more. Mm. Yeah, well... And tomorrow we live to live another tale. <laughs> yeah, well, we're keeping our fingers crossed for tomorrow. Me too. Um, yeah, thank you so much. No, thank you. It's been great. It's been, it's been wonderful. Um, if I always ask a question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If you could go back to uh, GCSE, Tina... <laughs> yeah. ..with everything that you've... Uh, amassed and or the experiences that you had since then and give her one piece of advice what would that be I think I would I wouldn't change nothing nothing amazing no so then maybe what would you what advice would you give to someone else um who's been diagnosed well I mean actually do you know what just anybody like if you met an 18 year old I think if I met an 18 year old me I would say I don't think I lived enough in that in that whole generation I wish I'd done more Mm. Um, in your younger years in my younger years because I'm I feel like I'm living my younger years now I'm always at a bloody concert. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Nearly 50 out with the 18-year-olds. Yeah, um, too right. And I think I would want to save... I mean, I'm obviously travelling now because of the diagnosis, but I would want to keep the older years for travelling more and looking at life more and being out in the nature and exploring cultures. Um, but on a cancer perspective, ask questions. Never be afraid to ask questions. And if you don't like the answer of it, question it again. Why are you doing that? Tell me more. What's it about? Don't just go with um, what the doctors are telling you. Because I think so many patients do that because they're scared. And I get that it's scary. But you have to really deep, dig deep to find that kind of motivation I guess to ask those questions and doctors don't like being asked questions they hate it Mm. why are you asking me those questions because it's my bloody body it's my life I'm not just going to do what you ask me to do 
you got to tell me why. What's it going to do? What are the side effects? What happens if it doesn't if it comes back? All of that you need to get those questions answered, and research. And if your oncologist starts booking you in at early morning or afternoon <laughs> appointments, you know you're asking the right questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Tina. Thank you for the bottom no, of our thank hearts you. for you know giving up some of your precious time to no speak. No problem. To us. It's, it's been great. An absolute honour to have you here. Love you to bits, and thank you. Great. Thanks so much. No worries. Well, there we are. Such an honest, open, and raw account of a very personal battle with a horribly cruel disease, wasn't it? Absolutely. But you know, I have to say, I was worried about this discussion. Um, you know, how I would, if I'd be asking the right questions. You know, whether or not you know, be emotional. But actually, I left the conversation feeling really energized and really positive which i think is a real testament to you know how she's tackling this situation which i mean frankly i i can't really get my head around but you know absolutely just enormous respect but gratitude to you know meet someone taking a situation on like that yeah i completely agree i just find it utterly unfathomable that there's so much evil and um hatred in the world and yet you get a beautiful soul like Tina struck down by such a cruel and evil disease. It's just, it's just, yeah, incomprehensible, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. But at least, you know, she's a great example on how people can manage similar situations. And yeah, I thought it was really interesting how she was comparing someone else that she met who, you know, was potentially taking a slightly more negative yeah. approach. Um, but yeah, absolutely phenomenal. No, I completely agree, and I'm convinced that her outlook and positivity and the way she's tackling this head-on will, will hopefully prolong her, her battle. And, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure she'll be an inspiration to everyone she, she meets along the way as well. Absolutely. Brilliant. Well, uh, coming up next, we've got some really interesting conversations with um, a psychiatrist with someone from the world of sport and business so lots of good stuff to look forward to and thanks as always for the music by neverlander until next time there's another way so we're just here recording a few edits to tina's podcast that we did yesterday and it's towards the end of the day and we just had a message in from Tina, uh, who's clearly seen her oncologist towards the end of the day, like he le likes to leave it. And if you remember yesterday, Tina was talking about there being three potential outcomes from her scan results. She has scans every three months. And the three, I think the three outcomes she mentioned yesterday were no change, growth in the tumours, and a reduction in the tumours. Was there one more possible outcome or not? Uh... I know there were four, three or four. Um, she, she, so she was going into her three monthly scan today last time it hadn't really made a difference she's changed some of her medication obviously she talked about the, the other stuff that she's doing as well she sent us a message while we've been sat here recording to say and I'll just find it the scan results are in she's had a reduction in all tumours and the doctor now thinks that she didn't have cancer in the liver in the first place what? yeah it's unbelievable. She's so happy 
that her meds are working. This is the best result she's had since she's been having scans for a while. 